Well, welcome. They come in on the um, I am actually very excited to be here today. I actually, I guess I go on the list of potential speakers now, or speakers uh, for the program. So thank you all for inviting us here. Um, and we're really, really excited to talk about the great things that are happening in Inglewood. So for those who don't know Inglewood, and let me just introduce myself, maybe I should start there. I'm Janae DeFell, President and CEO of Community Desk Chicago. And our mission really is about driving economic development and prosperity in neighborhoods like Inglewood. So I'm actually very excited to be working with these talented folks on the stage here and really helping to support um, the many efforts that are happening in Inglewood today. So for those who don't know Inglewood, it's located on the south side of Chicago, just west of the, downtown, just west of the Dan Ryan. 63rd Street is the heart of Inglewood. Statistically, approximately 54,000 residents live in Inglewood, down from 85,000 85, in 2000. That's a 36.8% decline. 21% of the parcels are vacant. The median household income is approximately 22,000 compared to the city at 62,000. Unemployment is 24.7% compared to the city at 8.1%. Despite statistics and data, Inglewood is one of the most innovative and collaborative communities in the city of Chicago. Their bootstrapped approach towards self-reliance has garnered more than 100 million in recent investments. These investments include a community land trust, an entrepreneur-focused community investment vehicle, adapted reuse of shuttered school buildings and decommissioned rail lines, and much more. Today, you will hear from the community leaders trailblazing in this work despite the odds. So before we dive into the discussion, I just want to pass it over to, um, to the different panelists and ask them to introduce themselves, their organization, and the role that they play within their organization. So I'll start with Cecile first. Uh, good. Uh, my name is Cecile DeMello. I'm the Executive Director of Teamwork Inglewood. I've been the Executive Director since July 2019. I'm also a mother of three, and I raised my family in Inglewood. Uh, good, after, good, good afternoon, right? Good afternoon. I'm Anton Seals, Jr., uh, lead steward of Grow Greater Inglewood, and I'm happy to be here as well. Everybody, oh, there we go. I'm Felicia Slayton Young, co founder and executive director of the Greater Inglewood Chamber of Commerce. Good afternoon, my name is Dion Pete Lucas. I'm an architect with Beehive and a co founder of EG Wood. So I'm sure the food is really good. Uh, but we actually have some of our key projects in Inglewood rotating on the slide. So I will be quizzing folks after the presentation. <laughs> so Cecile, let's start with you. Teamwork Inglewood is the champion for Inglewood. You all are viewed as a critical resource for the community, but also the collaborative partner helping to advance projects across Inglewood's footprint. 
As the lead for the Quality of Life Plan, tell us about the plan and the journey. How and why have you been successful in your implementation efforts? Thank you. Um, I'm really proud of the work that we've been doing in the Ingle Quality of Life Plan. I was actually a volunteer in the second rendition in the task forces and the working groups uh, before becoming project manager and then before becoming executive director because it was a great place for me as a resident, as a stakeholder to be able to contribute to a common agenda for the community. Um, I'm going to brag, but our, our quality of life plan was not a published document that sat on a shelf. It was uh, driven by residents and stakeholders, and as my team reminded me today, we meet a lot. <laughs> and we've been meeting a lot since 2016. Um, but one of the things I am proud of in what I call the success, because the plan has a lot of ambitious goals, and of course with the pandemic, not all of the things we wished to uh, create momentum around happened, but what I'm the most proud about is all of the partnerships and the ability to be able to leverage resources in these targeted places where community residents felt that we should be addressing the quality of life issues. This is everything from health and wellness work to education and youth work uh, to public safety and, of course, economic development. Um, during the pandemic, we took a step back and regrouped with some of the residents and stakeholders and said, now that we have this potential new reality, where do we move forward from here? And so some of the original priorities that we had a lot of leveraged resources around, specifically workforce development in the Jobs and Economic Development Task Force, they still are important, but something that people called out was, how do we look at supporting our corridors? Now, this work was already happening because, as you know, the Go Green Our Racine team was a part of the Chicago Prize, the first inaugural finalist group. And so looking at corridors was not something that was lost on a potential pivot where we could support, right? Um, there was a lot of momentum happening in the city around 63rd and Halston, and I think that's an important intersection for sure. But other places throughout Inglewood are just as important to the families. Racing Corridor is one of those, right? The tr shutter train station, the numerous parks, the different assets that have been, led, uh, uh, been left vacant by city policies were important to our community. And so the collaborative partners, uh, Inner City Muslim Action Network, Resident Associate Greater Inglewood, E.G. Wood, Teamwork Inglewood, we kind of created a mini plan for this corridor that had not we took in the steps, probably would still be something that folks don't really talk about. I also feel the same way around 63rd Street. While there was a lot of city momentum on 63rd and Halstead, a lot of key partners, especially the Greater Inglewood uh, Community Development Corporation, the Chamber of Commerce, have been working on programs and projects around here. And so where Teamwork Eaglewood isn't always the lead on things that happen around the quality of life plan or even the community in general, what I'm grateful for is that we can sometimes help to build partnerships uh, and, and take, well, this person's doing this and this person's doing this. How could we work together to make it more impactful? And I think what we are communicating to the rest of the city is that we have these partnerships. We are creating a common agenda and common uh, initiatives in this community. What, and we have been leveraging public resources. Like you shared, over $112 million in public infrastructure and project support has been led by, led by our community groups for the initiatives and the corridor investments. And so, um, and, and I'll give an example of the popcorn really quickly and then I'll be quiet. Um, but the popcorn initiative that came out of the Department of Planning, 
The area on 63rd and Justine um, was an area that a local entrepreneurship, Corey Luckett with Inglewood Branded, was activating already. And co both corridor uh, um, infrastructure development and public safety goals of the Quality of Life Plan were able to converge on that opportunity. And so when we saw, we were like, oh, we have a place where this could go. We have a place where we can continue programming and we can resource it. And um, I think to one of your other questions is, um, and what's happening right now with the Quality of Life Plan, we have so many different co collectives, coalitions, and projects that are rooted in these priorities from the community, including the work on the Ujima Hive, which is going to be on 65th and Stewart, which is around a node of key assets in Inglewood where this project will complement, which we'll talk a little bit later about. But there's also the work on 59th Street, which is really important, too, is another corridor. The trail, the work that Resident Association Greater Inglewood is working on and growing home. We are doing the work in Greater Inglewood, and so not all the time do, uh, well, what I'll say is, I feel like community-driven and community-controlled development is what is happening in Greater Inglewood, and I don't like to talk in panels. Y'all have to drag me to this conversation because I like to just stay in the community. But if there's anything in this panel discussion I think is important for this kind of audience is where is private investment let, being a support to the work that we have been organizing around in this community through a lens of self-determination. And I think that is what everyone should be Yeah, it's interesting, and thank you, uh, Cecile, um, because one of my opening remarks was 63rd Street is the heart of Inglewood. I can remember as a child shopping um, in that district. But I think it's important that you have called out how you all have collectively started to organize the projects within nodes. So before we pivot to the next person, maybe if you can just, because some folks might not have caught the slide yet, can you just describe how you have how you start to organically call out the different nodes within Inglewood? Well, it's definitely the community that's called it out. Like the work of some of the economic development projects that are happening in Greater Inglewood is because we see corridors differently than other folks outside of Inglewood do. We see the potential that it has, we see the opportunity, but we also remember what it used to be too, right? Now, I'm a little younger, so I don't remember 63rd and Hostel like some folks do, but my grandma did drag me to the U.S. Bank on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, the, the, these things are happening because of the common vision, but again, the passion around corridor work and economic development. So these things have organically come together, and I just get to smile and see, look at how this community comes together to support and leverage the momentum with each other, and that's been some of the proud work that I've uh, been able to see. 63rd Street in particular is just a place where a lot of the community groups have been doing work, e.g. Wood, the Chamber, the CDC, like I said. Um, I would be remiss to say, I, I talk about these projects on 63rd Street in particular, just to show you about the organicness of people working intentionally of supporting their community. The Alderwoman of the 16th Ward, Alderwoman Stephanie Coleman, she moved her office to 63rd and Racine. We have new restaurants on 63rd and Racine. We have a new pet store, bet you didn't know that. We have a new pet <laughs> store on 63rd Street as well. 
And so, um, and, and again, sometimes my role is when the city is calling me and saying, hey, we have this in this project, sometimes I can help make the connection, like the Corridor Ambassador Program that the city launched. I was able to work with Derek Warren, the executive director, and we brought that project home to an Inglewood group to support small businesses along 63rd Street. Thank you. So just to recap, we've got 63rd, which is our shopping district. We've got 59th, which we'll talk about in a second. Then we have the medical area, which is where the hive is. Can you? Yes. And then we've got one more near Harper. Yeah, so there was another opportunity that where community groups came together was around the original uh, Peace Campus that was facilitated by IGRO. And so through the... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the previous work that existed in that space was around youth and wellness and addressing food insecurities. And so Magic Inglewood If, Grow Greater Inglewood, Growing Home, Teamwork Inglewood work together to be able to continue to keep those assets in the community and have them community controlled. Um, part of what's happening on the We Grow campus is we get to really focus on the needs of West Inglewood residents, which sometimes is, it, it can be hard to reach them because there's not a lot of physical assets that can exist on the other side of the community. But but even more importantly, we've been able to uh, acquire two more homes there and be able to build out even more support programming for that community to hopefully feed into a larger strategy to support West uh, West Inglewood. This includes the healing house that Imagine in Inglewood uh, if is leading to have mental health support services accessible to West Inglewood residents, as well as another youth space, which the Quality of Life Plan calls out in the education and youth priority areas that we need more spaces for young people. And we're working with Metropolitan Family uh, Services, who's also a partner in WeGrow, to be able to build another youth space inside of that block on 64th and Honoree. Then there's Harper High School, which we've been occupying with a rental lease for youth programming. Every summer we have close to 250. I'm looking at Michelle. I don't know why we do this. We have almost 250 young people in what was about to be a shuttered building again because of city policies. Um, that example for me just reminds everyone that this community is taking sometimes the mess that's been left behind and doing the work to make it serve our community. Thank you. Thank you, Cecile. So um, according to a 2019 Brookings Metro report, less than 2%, I'm going to repeat, less than 2% of the wealth that's generated from commercial real estate, black Americans benefit from that. So you can imagine, of all the commercial properties downtown in the neighborhoods, 2% of that wealth is going to black families. Dion, you are often viewed in the community as the neighborhood architect, the developer, and the trusted advisor for all things real estate. In your role, you have been instrumental in reactivating commercial corridors, specifically small-scale infield development that provides brick and mortar spaces for small businesses. Tell us about your work with E.G. Wood and how did you create an innovative capital structure to fund this project? I was hoping she would skip me. <laughs> um, and they liked me. I thought this was going to be like a small, intimate panel. <laughs> Obviously, that's not the case. Um, and I'll do my best because I really wasn't prepared for all of y'all. Uh, so challenges, I think 
everyone who's anyone who's done real estate, specifically in the, the commercial sector, knows that development is difficult. And it's even more difficult when you have small black-owned businesses who don't have the capital. So our start and founding was really in like 2017 when a group of uh, entrepreneurs met via the chamber and the resident association of Great Englewood and decided we wanted to go after some grants. And uh, myself and my partner being uh, naive, um, idiots, decided we would, we would get into the community and help. And the way we would help was we would offer up free architectural <laughs> services and some business consulting in exchange for uh, work if these individuals were to happen to receive these grants. Uh, little did we know, we probably did too well, and we were five for five. So we applied for five grants, we won five grants, and it was an old shit moment. Like, what are we doing, and what did we get ourselves into? Um, but there was, there was a little bit more into it that we started, which we didn't realize until we got to that event where they celebrated all of the winners, which is uh, we can't focus on ourselves. We can't really do something that would only benefit the five individuals who created it, but could we create something that could benefit everyone in the Inglewood community in perpetuity when and if we ever decided we wanted to retire, there was an entity that would exist. And that was the birth of E.G. Wood, and E.G. Wood is Inglewood for short, for those who don't know. Um, and we started that in 2017, and we've been going strong ever since. Um, as far as the entity itself, um, a lot of my background in history is in architecture, so I've worked on NATO headquarters. Anybody been there lately? It's a really dope project. And I've worked on bathrooms, right? So far and few between. Um, and in the architecture space, it's very... Any architects in the room? Just one? It's a lot of vanity, right? Um, it's probably one of the most vain institutions in the history of, like, next to fashion, right? Um, and I'm just, I wasn't really bred like that. I'm originally from the west side of Chicago. A lot of the work that I grew up doing was centered around community. And I really thought that, you know, the big firms is where I wanted to be. And I got there and I did well and I loved it. But I just remember talking on the phone with family and friends and being so um, unfulfilled, like not really understanding why I could work on these $400 million hotels and I get phone calls and I'm depressed. Like, what's going on? What's the problem? And a lot of that was because I was, I was bestowing those talents that had been given to me by the people who raised me um, to an institution who really could care less. And, and not saying that they were intentional about caring less. It just wasn't a priority for them. And I decided I would come back home and, and you know, volunteer my talents where I could. And so as we, as we start there, the goal with E.G. Wood was to do more of that. So if we're going to do this architecture thing, we're going to do this real estate thing, how are we going to help everyone? Uh, and we started the entity as a co-op. Well, co-ops didn't work in Chicago at that time because for some reason it's illegal to share money. It's illegal to share ownership. You, can't, you violate so many SEC regulations. I was pulling my hair out trying to figure out what Reg D meant. Um, but eventually we got to a model that is a much more of a hybrid, an, an L3C, a collaborative, and we were able to figure out very creative ways in which we can engage community, uh, normal people who may only have $10 and some who may have $100,000 to contribute to uh, our entity. And from that, we, we spent almost a year developing that platform, and we were able to raise a significant amount of money to help us in our project. 
but it wasn't enough, right? If, and if I can re- restate, anyone who is anyone who's in real estate knows that when you think you got enough money, you probably should raise some more because you never have enough money. And so we thought we had enough money, and we got started, and we were there bootstrapping, building it, snatching money from family and friends and whoever was willing to give it to us. And we got to a point where we were like halfway there, and the money started to dry up. Everything was practically gone. Um, and then so we had to just refocus ourselves and do more to raise that capital. That's very frustrating, right? It can be... It's frustrating because as an architect who worked on those $8 billion, $400 million projects, you have this little tiny million-dollar thing, right, that's supposed to be impactful and supposed to help the community, and you're struggling with it. I, I couldn't fathom. It, it just made no sense to me being in that process and going on that journey that I can work on something that is, I'm not going to say wasteful, but just so plentiful and bountiful and just excessive. And the thing in your community, you're struggling to get done. It's, um, it's tough, right? Um, but we made it through. We persevered. And now we have an entity that is probably on iteration number four, which really, I'm, I'm really excited about this next iteration because it, it not only enables just people to invest, but it's sort of providing investment to the community and you know, I won't talk about it now because it's another hour, but it's, it's going to be great. I'm pretty excited about it. And, and it gives me an opportunity to, to do the work that I want to do uninhibited by any type of guilt or bringing in capital or doing anything because everything we do goes back into the assets or the hands as assets to the community. Um, so, so Dan, let me just stop you for a second because we've, we've been on multiple panels together and I'm actually, full disclosure, on Dion's um, advisory board and he gives me heartache. <laughs> even down to the last 20 minutes before this presentation. Um, I'm getting used to it, but for folks who know me, I'm A-type personality, and it just drives me crazy. Um, You're welcome. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so just to make sure that folks are following along with us, how long did it take you? So first of all, what was this, what's the size of that building? like 4,000 square okay. feet. So how, what's the, what, is, what is your cost of the project versus the market cost? So how much did that building cost to uh, acquire and renovate? Acquisition was 50, renovations around like 8, 10. Um, market probably would have been like 2.5 million. Okay. Because we, we self-performed everything. So we'll come back to that. Oh. Okay. So 800 some thousand. Yeah. Probably market was a million plus. How many, how many years did it take you to do that project? Uh, construction, three years. Total from concept to? Uh, five. Five. Is it maybe yeah. seven? I mean, if you want to count. <laughs> if you want to count ideation, yeah, but, yeah. you know, it's depressing <laughs> when you think about it. So. <laughs> Every day the number goes lower. So, so the reason why I, I, I had Dion stop, because I think... What we want to stress here is a 4,000 square foot building, which is rotating here on the screen, took seven years. Seven years, people, because it was in Inglewood. Yeah. Let me repeat seven years because it was in Inglewood, yeah. right? Yeah. So, what's really interesting about the EG Wood model is 
and we I would love for you just to quickly talk about the um, entrepreneurs and then we need to probably just move on that it is creating turnkey spaces for entrepreneurs that do not have the financial wherewithal to actually do a, a build out on a, real, on a real estate project. So that is one of the unique aspects of it. So when you look at corridors in Chicago and you have vacancy rates as high as 43% in some of these neighborhoods, it's a capital access issue, right? It's a capital access issue. It's a credibility issue. So Cecile made the comment of, we have a pet store. How many lenders would think that a pet store would survive in Inglewood? So part of what we have to do is change the narrative for people to understand that there's real people and real opportunities in these neighborhoods. They own cats and dogs and birds and fish and turtles, just like everybody else, but there's often this perception that they can't thrive. So can you just quickly talk about um, the, the, the three entrepreneurs that were in, are in the building, and I think just to make sure folks are following along, ultimately when E.G. Wood could not secure the capital because they really had no existing assets, they weren't in operations, you all had to go to a friend and family strategy to raise the capital. Yeah. And so now you're on your fourth reiteration of the model, which yeah. will continue to tweet. So just briefly tell folks about the entrepreneurs in the, in the space, and then how have you seen them grow since you've incorporated them into the building? Um, so there's six of us total. So we, we won five, and then one of the grantees actually joined us because she looked at the crowd and said, you know what, I think you guys might be winning. So <laughs> let me go ahead and join. And so we have um, currently in the, the facility there is Beehive, which is our design firm. Um, uh, Powell's Barbershop, which is a, a barbershop, and then Marie Wesley, which is a fashion retail store. Hey, Marie. <laughs> uh, and then we have our, our next site is on 63rd and Carpenter, which we're hoping will start construction in December. That one is Ellie's Urban Grill, which is a sports bar and grill. Past the Peas, which will be a sit-down. All of these yes. are casual dining, sit-down restaurants. The first in, what, like 15 years or something crazy like that. Um, and then we have a shared kitchen, which is supposed to create more food entrepreneurs. So it's not a, a shared kitchen in the traditional sense. If they're signing up to be a part of this, they intend to have a brick and mortar. Um, we're not accepting, like, regular caterers or people who just want to cook for whatever. Um, and then, so... Those those first three, as far as growth, I've seen I've seen them change, including ourselves. Right, we went from work. You know, I was at home working in my at my desk to now we have an office. Uh, we went from two people and now we have ten. Uh, we had no stations, very old technology. Now we have everything we need, and so our growth has definitely been tremendous. It's almost shocking because. I joke around with friends of mine about adulting. You guys, you, does anybody remember when they actually became an adult? I feel like I'm in that realm right now, and it's, it's starting to come to fruition. Um, but so I've, I've definitely seen a, a change in myself, in my responsibilities, and what I have to provide in the lives. And then the barbershop is doing very, very well. Definitely seen a, a different focus from that space. His prior space was a lot of violence happened. This space is very peaceful and calm. Um, and then the retail provider, Nanette Tucker, I don't think she's here, but if you, if you ever made, 
Nanette is a rock star. So she's probably, out of all of our, our entrepreneurs, she's probably the underdog um, of everything we've done. I remember when we were working with our lender and Lisk. Anybody know Lisk? Is Lisk in the room? Yeah. They, they know this is true, so they won't mind me talking about it. But uh, we went to them, and it's six of us, mind you, right? Like, you would think if you go with six people, you have some power, some, some credibility or something like that. Yeah, we didn't have any of that. They, they basically looked at our partners and said, well, you know, they have a trash credit score. This person doesn't have any business experience, and I just don't like the way they look, right? Um, we're not going to do the deal. And I was like, well... I can afford this deal by myself, you know, me and my wife. And they were like, well, if you do it, then we'll just ignore the rest of them. So what you're telling me that you're not going to sign the six of us up, but you'll just do me and my wife? How does that make any type of sense? And part of that was because we were a startup of startups, right? You had, you had a group of six individuals. Four of those were businesses who had not actually been doing any work um, at all. And the net was like the the one they really targeted. Oh, don't you want to get a different partner? What? These, these are my partners. You, so you want me to fire my partners to bring in people you trust that you think is going to succeed? Let me just tell you, those are some very, very tense meetings, and it had not been from, like, my friends, to be honest with you, and my desire to want to make sure they're taken care of. I probably would have... Showing my uh, mm-hmm. East, East Garfield Park roots, <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about, in some okay, of those meetings. Listen, okay, but, uh, let, me, let me cut the mic. I, I kept it, I kept no, it real to speak. <laughs> it was tough, y'all. I'm telling you. like This work is hard. You work really, really hard to, to help. Like We're helping. We're trying to help not only the people there, but ourselves. And to just see that rejection firsthand... It hurts. Yeah. It hurts a lot. Well, thank you for that, Dion. And I also just want to point out that this building was acquired and renovated with zero break-ins. Yeah. There are no metal bars. There are no shutters on this building. It is a free and open space. So, again, businesses can be successful and thrive in neighborhoods. Okay, let me move on. Um, Anton, you are everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. I'm working with him in South Shore. He's in Inglewood. I mean, you're everywhere. You are the land steward of Inglewood. Your efforts to reactivate community assets from land to decommissioned rail lines have been transformational. Mm. Tell us about your work with the Inglewood Trail. You're on that one. The Community Land Trust and the Urban Farming. What is the motivation behind this work and where have you seen the impact? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I think I could start with, I think the, the biggest piece is the, the urban farming. So just where we started in terms of the whole urban ag and food system um, and the opportunity, it sprang out of the quality of life plan. So as Cecile said, in, in many of these communities, the community has already said what they want to see. What was missing is this people who could galvanize to actually actualize that. And then what it would take to actualize those plans. Um, And, you know, that's where the adventure kind of started. I got introduced to the food system through policy. Um, I work at Congressman Rush's office. And then I lived in Inglewood. And there was a community garden across the street. That's how I got in touch with neighbor space. There was this kind of natural 
you know, interconnection there. And then there's a growing, and then the way GGE started, Sonia Harper's the co we both started this, to convening folks to make sure that there were black farmers that were getting access to land in a predominantly black community. And it just made absolute perfect sense that this kind of connection had to happen. And there was a growing number of programs that were training. So, but part of that is disconnected from access to actual city-owned land and that process. So our journey around, like, how do you take, you know, folks who are being trained through Urban Growers Collective or Botanic Garden and ready land for them and how much that takes to remediate the land, right, uh, to then pro provide water. I mean, it's super expensive. So that's where also birthed out of that was the land trust in order to hold the land because Inglewood didn't even have its own Right now, the city had just neighbor space in order to access to do community gardens or to do urban ag. So if you wanted to have a farm, how would you do that, right? Um, and the city did not have a mechanism to, to transfer that to a body besides this, that current body of neighbor space. So we start really tooling on this over the years. And what's grown is a network across the city of, in particular, black and brown farmers who are doing this kind of work both in the urban setting, the peri-urban setting, and in the rural settings. So there's a, 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 a definitely a growing, and it propelled after the pandemic. Um, and the Inglewood Nature Trail had also been something that had been on the, uh, since the Centennial Plan, uh, which the Bloomingdale Trail, which we call the 606, sprouted out of. Um, and these infrastructure reuse projects are huge impetus for a lot of change. But we knew that we couldn't do... Uh, what they did for the 606 completely different than what's happening with the Inglewood Nature Trail. The biggest difference is that the city owns the majority of the adjacent properties near this trail. And the history is super important as well. That corridor on 59th Street, just to give you guys the, the, your bearings, 59th Street used to be a light industrial corridor and it still sits in between two of the largest freight uh, railroads in the country, CSX on the west and Norfolk Southern on the east. I would say both of them have been, one, a terrible kind of corporate partner, you know, in trying to kind of pull themselves back on how they access land on the eastern end of Inglewood, where my family doesn't even exist anymore, right? So that the rail yard could expand. And then on the western end, there has been, I think, a little bit more engagement with CSX and community partners there, but still there is this still gulf of huge swaths of vacant land that at one point had foundries. Uh, so just think of all of the different kind of mid, pre-war, World War II, uh, that were creating, you know, and this was a connector rail, right, between the two. So they were, had foundries there, they were smelting gold, copper, ceramics. So Chicago's history bursts out of, like, Inglewood is definitely the heart of Chicago. It is formed from the railroads. And it is still that juncture that creates so what we started to look at when we did the trail is that it could not just be about this trail. So yes, we need more public green space. Yes, we need to address this because of the social determinants of health because healing the land is fundamental so we can heal the people who, who occupy that land, right? And how do we create strategies to center black culture unapologetically, right? right? And so that theoretical has to be met with like, how do you actually do that? with all of these different barriers of home ownership, uh, people trying to hold, hold on to their spaces, 
all this tension that exists in the community is what we've been trying to and still are in the process of doing. Um, so that's where the agro eco district kind of vision came from is that we needed to have a larger framework, one to protect the homeowners, the renters, the people in the community around how do you access number one, right? These new opportunities. And then how do you attract and, and build, right? We need industry. We don't need just jobs. We need industries. We have very little industries that are hiring in mass. 59th Street provides that kind of opportunity. And, and the two big sectors that are growing in Chicago, uh, transportation, logistics, distribution, manufacturing, and health, tech, right? And food. And we have all these pieces of land that are vacant in between. Now, what we sprouted up since then is that there are lots of young, there are lots of entrepreneurs in our own community. And then that needs to be paired with people who are, have larger industries who can come in and say, oh, I, wanna, I see the vision. But what we also need to create is a framework in which how you would enter into the community. So that's why we're creating a community compact as well. So that when you come into a community that there is a certain standard in which you're not just extracting the wealth. Right? We're very cautious around what we've heard from the residents that we continue to engage. Because you have to continuously engage to go deeper with people. Right, to build the trust with people, with residents, with people, like because it's been so much, and this, that takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So what we are looking to do is to try to leverage to create this land use where we're almost done with a land use plan, so that we could attract the different kinds of businesses that can eventually occupy. It's still a 59th Street. It's still a transportation corridor. Mm -hmm. There are tons of trucks that go east and west through that corridor to the Dan Ryan. Right. And logistics since the pandemic has tweaked up. Right. So there's even more truck traffic there. So we're also looking at how do we also create the remediation kind of um, safeguards in the community by building more and, and being very deliberate around what we the phytoremediating kind of plants that we can put in the community. Yeah. And then this trail becomes another access. What we heard from com communities like most of these trails are like bike trails. Right. It's kind of like the thing, like bike culture, but they're not the same thing in our community. So what we want, what we heard from a lot of folks is that folks want a place for respite, places to take their children, lots of grandparents who got their, their kids, spaces, safe spaces. Right. And what we also have learned is that people are rolling up their sleeves. So we see this as a, a strategy around quality of life around an economic strategy because we have like folks who are interested in not just growing the regenerative kind of farms, but there's so many different parts of that in the food system. Yeah, yeah. Right. Can I can I pause you for a second, Anton? Just in part, I just want to do a time check because I know most people are usually hard stop yeah. on a few things. Um, so mm -hmm. obviously I think in my communication to you it was very clear that you guys are touching a lot of things in this space around food. What would you say quickly before we pivot to Felicia? What is the cost of this work and where are your major funders coming from right now? Well, there's a few entry points. I think there's food, there's conservation. Uh, so there's the state, you know, so we've got a great champion in Sonia Harper, um, downstate who's art and two chairs, the agriculture committee. So a lot of this is around process. So just like I, I hear your question, but a lot of it is around 
the process of policies and how government functions. Right. So even when you have this kind of process, how do you then bring in the pool of construction folks who are going to do this work? Right. How do you ready them to do this work? Is the city open to, if they're not, we have to make them open. Right. But, right? You, but, but it's also fair to say that you have had pretty good support and momentum, even when we talk about the reopening of the 63rd and, and Racine station, yeah. you guys have gotten a lot of municipal support um, in various levels, right? I would, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't say <laughs> I wouldn't say municipal support. We haven't gotten, I think most of our money has, that we've raised. I thought we all got money, like some actual allocation. No, not for, we helped raise that. That goes to CDOT. Oh. That don't come to G- Grow Greater Inglewood. Okay. But it was, it's our, but this is an example of us not just turning it over to the city saying, you do it. Yeah. This, is, uh, this is a community-led project. They've never done anything like that. And now we have to codify that process right. where community is not then farmed out on the, you know, how engagement normally has been working, which is a flaw in the design process, is that there's somebody comes and builds it and then takes it to the community and say, what do, what do you not like? <laughs> so that's not engagement. You've already determined what you wanted to do, and you, then you bring me in on the back end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is a framework that has to shift if we're saying that we're going to be a city together. Got it. Right? So that's, the, to, to, and to your other point, there is a huge opportunity because there are parks and green spaces. As a driver, we have two parks. We have a closed school. I mean, a lot of this stuff started with a lot of the closed schools that there were six or seven of them. Right, right. So, so I guess I should have made sure my notes was right. But yeah. the city. But I'd actually like to do a plug um, <laughs> about the work on the uh, Green Line state, uh, Station. So there's the Inglewood Trail work, and then there's the advocacy campaign led by Go Green on Racine to open the 63rd and Green Line Station. And we got a commitment from the Chicago uh, Transit Authority in the paper we saw that they wanted to commit for a feasibility study for that project. Um, during the campaign season with the two candidates, we did get a commitment that they both would support the Green Line Station to be reopened. But that actual work of what that commitment actually looks like is still not 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 present. And we did ask for a commitment to meet with the current mayor 100 days um, uh, while he was uh, since being in office to do an update on what that commitment could look like. Um, it's a lot of people in this room. There's an online petition on the Go Green on Racine website. If you all can still complete that, because we still need to put the political pressure on whoever's office to make sure that that train station is open. Fair all enough. Right. Okay, last but, last but not least, um, because I do think that we, uh, we want to make sure we have some time for questions. Um, Felicia. You are also another one that is everywhere, um, and you are, as a chamber, as a lead chamber, as a lead for the chamber, you actually touch a lot of different projects. So Inglewood has experienced a spike in new business licenses, and in fact, 25% of those new licenses are for street food vendors. Despite the growth in licensing, according to a 2019 University of Chicago study, Inglewood has experienced a leakage of sales of more than $300 million. What current efforts are underway to create a circular economy in Inglewood that keeps money in Inglewood while providing opportunities for small businesses? And what role is the chamber playing? Wow. So 
part of the work is collaborating with folks on this panel, understanding the challenges that not only a business like E.G. Wood is facing, but understanding the unique needs of the trail and how do we support the areas around that trail in, in terms of thinking through the kinds of small businesses. I think... Um, just from experience in doing this work and talking to a number of entrepreneurs and small businesses, I think when we're thinking about leakage, right, when you think about the number of people that live in Inglewood and the kinds of retail and service providers that's not there, we have to seek that desired need for that service, that product, um, somewhere else, outside of the community, very adjacent to the community, but not in the community. And when that money leaves us, it does not stay in the community. It doesn't allow us to grow our local, hyper-local economy. And so when I look at the kinds of business licenses that are being applied for and approved, I'm looking at the growth in many of our food cart businesses. Now I'm starting to think through, well, how do we support them in their growth? Do they want to remain a food cart business? Is there an opportunity to build this pipeline into EG Wood? Is this a, a business that we can begin to think about that would need a particular space? Well, we have to have those conversations, but I do understand that many of those businesses are led by Latinx. How do we in, engage them in this Inglewood community? So we're thinking through a lot of the work that we need to do to support growing businesses as well as our existing businesses. We love the fact that Jared, who uh, runs uh, a very successful Inglewood hardware, which was a succession plan, it was uh, given to him to continue to lead from his father-in-law, who has since then opened up the pet shop and supply store, right? Making sure that we're providing educational programs as, as, as a chamber of commerce. Also, providing micro-grants. And that really came out of a need in our post-COVID situation and understanding that if we are providing these funds to keep them open through COVID, what other ways could we support the growth of these businesses, right? And so it's not just, oh, we need access to money to, you know, buy things, but we actually need to make our stores look better, right? We have electrical issues. We have plumbing issues. So many other needs that go beyond just the scope of building revenue. And so we're looking at all the ways that we provide that education. We lean on partners like Greater uh, Southwest Development Corporation, who's been an amazing partner since we started the Chamber of Commerce. Of course, our local partners here as well. Um, and we're just always trying to make sure that we are out here walking the corridors, understanding what is and isn't here, and engaging the community of business owners and entrepreneurs to see how can we help you get to where you need to go. Expanding, growing, and starting a new business. Thank you for your time. Um, I'm just doing a time check. We're at 107. I'm assuming we have time for questions. So can somebody confirm that? Okay. I'm just looking around to see who's watching. We're on time. Um, so I mean, so I did. We have some um, pre-submitted questions here. Um, so I think that Dion has answered the question. Black Club Chicago actually had this question. With Inglewood having zero sit-down restaurant options for family and friends to enjoy food. 
What are organizations like E.G. Wood and the Greater uh, Inglewood Chamber of Commerce doing to promote businesses and food equity across the, the community? Mm -hmm. I think we've answered that question. So I'm going to move past that. Um, please address how the Inglewood Trail figures into the larger strategy of economic development and community revitalization. I think we've answered that question. <laughs> All righty. Uh, what is the city's responsibility and response? We kind of answered that question. Kinda. I don't think we have enough time for that. So we should probably move on. <laughs> um, the cost of construction at 5900 South Polina is no less than construction at 5900 North Polina. Okay, what is being done to bridge the cost of revitalization and incentivize development of the community's affordable, clean, and desirable housing and businesses? So I'll start it, and anybody can jump in. For us, the Chamber of Commerce, it's really been understanding what's the financial gap, right? We, as we all sit here, we understand from um, Dion the cost of construction is crazy, even more so now in this post-COVID economy, right? Supplies are, the, the cost of supplies, three to four times as much. What the Chamber has really looked at is how could we support and what areas we support, right? Technical assistance, helping folks with applications, but most importantly, we had to develop a micro-grant to allow folks who are getting some kind of city grant or insist, uh, incentive some gap dollars, right? They need to get started. There are things that they need right now to move their projects forward. The Chamber of Commerce still needs considerable financial support to continue to do that. We understand how important it is for these very small commercial property owners to beautify, expand, and make their spaces move in ready. We can't attract the businesses we want if we don't have the spaces for businesses to move in. This micro-grant helps with that, right? From hiring folks to get started on the job to construction costs, to legal costs, it's so important. And I think this is what we do, um, and we be we're beginning to do it really well as we're understanding those needs. And we're talking to folks like Cecile and Dion and saying, okay, now what are you hearing? What do you know? I don't see every single person, but to be able to lean on a, a number of groups, inclu including some of our elected officials, that say, hey, this business owner is looking for this, this business owner is looking for that. We're looking for ways to find that. I know RAGE does the re-up program that helps folks with housing, getting access to a house, understanding how to manage the home and the property. That's valuable information. And when people are coming to me about housing, I'm sending them there because that's what they do best. And I think as long as we continue to work together and send folks to the resources that are within our community, we're going to grow and we're going to see things change along our commercial quarters. Yeah, and I'd like to just add to it briefly as well this uh, call out, even though we said we kind of talked about the city's responsibility and response, mm -hmm. and I've already challenged us to think about the private investment as well, but um, the economic development work that needs to happen in Greater Inglewood after decades of strategic and racist disinvestment includes radical investment. And it's radical investment that will usually make most people uncomfortable, right? You know, it's not piecemeal, it's not a couple meal here and there. We're talking about long-term, very radical investment in this community. It deserves it, and it is the only way we're going to make transformation happen. We can only do so much. The partners in this room can only do so much. 
Um, I have seen throughout my organizing career in this city, we will open up the pockets in certain communities. We will open up the pockets for certain projects. We have to do that and we have to be unapologetic. And yes, it's going to make some people uncomfortable, but it is what is required. It is what is owed. Well, I think that was a drop the mic moment. <laughs> Uh, thank you all. We appreciate you all uh, taking the time to learn more about Inglewood, and I think there's more information to come. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Janae. Thank you to all of our panelists. Uh, that was a drop-the-mic moment, but I just have a couple more things to say, because this is a to-be-continued, right? Um, this, folks, is City Club, Right. I mean, this is the only institution in Chicago that brings together community leaders, elected officials, philanthropists, foundations, and, and nonprofits, academics, students, all in one room on a regular basis to talk about solutions, right? We've all admired the problem for so long here at City Club. We're bringing together minds and, and all sorts of talents from different sectors to make things better. So thank you and using this platform to really highlight the good. There's so much good that happens in Chicago, right? And, and there's so many good people doing great things. So thank you all for all the good you're doing and, and everyone that's here to uh, bring this message out, share it. There's more to come uh, in the... In, in the spirit of you know the future city club, I'm going to mention that with along with the McCormick Foundation, uh, we are going to go out uh, and do a tour uh, and see some of this in person and bring the city club into the neighborhoods. And uh, we're excited about that. We're going to we're going to reach out to all of you soon uh, that are here today and figure out exactly logistically how that's going to work. But um, this is inspiring. Uh, and we and we really look forward to to so much more, um, and there is so much more. And with that, there's going to be a uh, a year long membership for each of you. So we invite you all to come back, and we'll we'll get these out to you. Uh, we've got a, some great programs coming up. We of course invite all of you to come back as well. Um, let's see, uh, we've got Attorney General Kwame Raoul uh, next week on the 13th. Um, City Club's first head of state, the, the Prime Minister of the Bahamas, is coming on the 11th. And, uh, and I know he's going to talk about climate change, among, among other things. Uh, Senator Tammy Duckworth on the 22nd. Um, and, and lots in the works, folks. And we take your ideas as well. As so many in the room know, you, you bring us ideas. And, and we are happy to share this platform. Um, we're talking about some programs from community policing to property taxes and maybe a little fun with some music and art and perhaps some sports. Uh, so lots more to come. Thank you for being here today. Thank you again to our panelists for being here today, but for all the work that you're doing. And we'll see you all here back at City Club soon. Thanks. Thank you.